as a youth pastor, one of the things that would happen oftentimes was we would have uh, students that would, would kind of play a special role in our home. And this one particular season of time, there was this young man, his name was Scott. He spent quite a bit of time with our family. Uh, he had, uh, well, he had a dad, but the time we knew him, he actually was in prison and Scott hadn't seen his dad in person except through the visitation window maybe a couple times in his upbringing. So, so Scott, he would, he would come over and hang out with us at the farm and get opportunities to do things that he didn't get to do as a young boy growing up. And so it was one afternoon and he was over hanging out with us. And when he hangs out with us, we... Well, that means we put him to work. It's extra labor. So, so he hadn't pushed a lawnmower before or ridden a riding lawnmower, so we took him down to the area of our yard that uh, is a big, flat, open kind of play area. It's about an acre worth of grass, and I kind of showed him how to work a riding lawnmower, and, and uh, he was just excited. It was pretty cool and fun for him, and I was pretty excited and cool that he was going to do the chore. And, and uh, so we, we gave him the whole instructions and then set him loose, and uh, I went back up to the shop and kind of forgot about him. About an hour later or so, uh, I, he, he, I noticed that the, the, the mower turned off, and he popped into the shop, and I said, so how did it go? And he said, well, it went, it went fine, except it, it just doesn't look like it cut very good. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, it just doesn't look very good. And I, so I said, okay, let's go down and look at it. So we walk out of the shop and walk around the corner, and none of the grass was cut. Like, none of it was. But you could see his tire tracks everywhere he was supposed to have been um, for the last hour. And you know, because you've used a lawnmower before, what happened. He was engaging the motor, but he forgot to engage the blade. So he just, for an hour, drove circles around the lawn and uh, didn't mow the grass. Don't worry, though, he got another opportunity <laughs> for the next hour, and he got it right that time. And so, uh, and he became, yeah, he's, he's a great, great kid. But I, I bring that story up just because as I look to this passage specifically, and I think about just Christianity as a whole, so many of us, at least in seasons in our life, and some seasons longer than others, we operate in our Christian faith the same way Scott did on that lawnmower. We know some of the truth, but we haven't not yet fully engaged the blades. And so there's motion, but that motion isn't maybe fruitful. Or the word I'm more focusing on this morning is effective. And, and as we're at this pivotal point, pivotal point in this passage or in this book of Mark, we're seeing Jesus doing something really special. And he's making a, he's making a transition of ministry. There's some things that he knows going to be coming. And he wants to prepare his disciples for the day when he's not going to be around. He wants them to have the tools needed in order to be effective as a witness for him, for the kingdom of God, effective in their Christian faith. And so today we get to see laid out, I've just got six um, six lessons and principles that we see here in this passage. And um, hold on, because we've got something special at the end of the sermon today. And so I want to move through this relatively quickly so we get an opportunity to do something special at the end. So to, to be effective as a witness, to keep the, the blades engaged in your Christian faith, um, number one, number one is to... Develop thick skin. Develop thick skin. So as we look at the context of where we've been, uh, Jesus and the disciples have been very busy. Very busy in life and in ministry over the past days, weeks, 
and even months. Verse 1, look at verse 1 and it says this. Jesus left there. He left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. The there that we're talking about is here. It is Capernaum up here at the top. That's where so much of the ministry that we've dealt with up until this point has taken place. There as well as across over here with him and the demoniac. But most of it's taken on here. And it says back there in our verse, it says, Jesus left there and he went to his hometown. His hometown is Nazareth. We know from the context of Scripture, as Google points out for us, it is about a nine-hour and five-minute walk if you take that particular route. If you want to take the scenic route, it's about ten hours. But it's about a you know a day's journey from where they were to Jesus' hometown. So he left there and went to his hometown. Verse 2. Verse 2 says, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What is this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is doing? So a few key words here that we need to get in order to understand this this context. Sabbath. So Sabbath was sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. So it's roughly a 24-hour period of time. So on the Sabbath, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. This is in, in synagogue in, in Nazareth. Now synagogue, a synagogue for best purposes today, that would be like church for us. Now their synagogue services were different than ours in the sense that uh, they had one service on Friday night, one Saturday morning, one Saturday afternoon, evening, and then services all throughout the week. We just happen to know that this particular synagogue uh, service that Jesus was doing was on the Sabbath. So it was either Friday night, Saturday morning, or Saturday afternoon. We're not quite so sure. Um, Now, a synagogue could be established anywhere, anywhere, any town, or in multiple towns. Anytime there were 10 or more men that would get together to say, hey, we need a synagogue here in this place. Now, what's interesting about this, in their culture, a man was 13. So you could get 10, 13-year-olds together, and they could form a synagogue. And in, in their culture, that was very much a norm, and they were entered into manhood earlier than our culture. But for Jesus, for Jesus, he comes to Nazareth on the Sabbath, goes to church, to the synagogue, and he preaches and he teaches. And one kind of a side point here, for Jesus, for Jesus, church was a priority. We see this all throughout Scripture. Church was a priority for him. He went to synagogue regularly. Uh, There are commentators that believe that he was there all throughout the week. Some said he was at least there once a week. We don't really know, but what we do know is Scripture says he made it his custom to be there, to be in church. And so, you know, church was important to Jesus. Church should be very important to us as well. So now moving on uh, to the rest of this, they say here, In verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So this is where things kind of start to turn in this passage. It all sounds kind of interesting and, and, and nice. Jesus shows up into his hometown. He's preaching. People are amazed. But then it takes this sudden turn. And that kind of goes back to our point. To be an effective witness for Christ... We must develop thick skin. Now, um, 
One thing to note here is that uh, the gospel of Christ, as the Bible presents it and as it is true, is very offensive um, to many people. Uh, until, until God opens up the eyes and the hearts through his Holy Spirit, people see the message of the cross as offensive. It's really interesting. I, I plug Sunday school because we talked this morning about the Word of God being living and active. And as Dr. Bob is teaching, I'm thinking he, start, he pulls up a passage that I'm about to preach on here, which is this next verse, 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. And he broke this verse down, unknowing to me, in Sunday school this morning. It's just, I love how God does that. But here's, here's an idea here. We preach Christ crucified, Paul says, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are being called to being saved, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's 1 Corinthians. And, and we need, as, as followers of Christ, to be effective, to keep the blades engaged. We need to settle in our hearts that we are willing to be criticized or even persecuted by bringing the best news that the world has ever heard to them. And that is that Christ has died on behalf of sinful people. And, and that's the greatest message that there could ever be. And throughout the last 2,000 plus years, when that message is brought, people resist it. People hate it. People see it as foolishness until the Spirit of God draws them to. So if, if we want to be effective witnesses for Christ, we have to be able to develop some thick skin to, to opposition. And the best way to do this is given to us later on in this passage in verse 11. And it's a, it's a practice for Jewish culture to do what you see underlined. It says, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. The, the term that comes to my mind is one that I grew up hearing, which is, you know, water off a duck's back, basically, is what, what's being said here. And in Jewish custom, if, if a... Jew was in a foreign land when they, before they would come into their own homeland, they would literally dust their feet off to remove the foreign soil. Sometimes it was symbolic, sometimes there was purpose. I know that we have people in our congregation that do noxious weed control, and I know that when you go into an area and you kill noxious weeds, before you take your tractor or your equipment or your tires um, onto a different area, you're supposed to wash them off so that you don't transfer that yuckiness into a, a more green and fertile area. And that's virtually what is taking place here with this passage. Jesus is quoting this Old Testament principle to shake the dust off your feet, have thick skin, don't allow this. And, and as I study this passage, I really do believe that when Jesus left Capernaum to go to Nazareth, go back to his hometown, that, that he did it because he did love these people. A lot of them were his family. He loved them, and he wanted them to accept the good news of, of the kingdom of God that he was bringing. He wanted that. But part of me also knows that he knew that they weren't going to receive that, or at least a large portion. Luke 4 records this. The first time that Jesus was in this area, he was doing the same thing. He was, he was preaching out of the scroll of Isaiah. The people got so mad at the message that they, they took him up to a hilltop, and they tried to throw him off of a cliff. And uh, he was able to slip away uh, because God had other purposes. But so, yeah, I do believe that Jesus wanted his disciple or wanted these people to accept the message. But I also know, because the context of this passage, that he was trying to teach his disciples a lesson. 
that, you know, I, I'm just imagining myself as a, as a, a follower of Jesus. I'm walking, I'm walking around with Jesus and I'm seeing him heal people and do all these miracles, cast out evil spirits. And, and I'm just amazed by what he's able to do, his kindness, his love, his compassion. I love how everywhere you go in the Gospels, Jesus always makes himself available to people, needy people. He was always there. And, and his disciples see this. And then Jesus takes them back into his hometown where he knew that he was going to get rejected, where people were going to say, ah, his own family even, his relatives, his old friends from his old town. And they were going to say, oh, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Jesus. He was the mother of Mary, which that was also an insult in that culture. You were never called the son of your mother. You were always called the son of your father, even if your father was deceased. So when they said, who is this? He, he, isn't he the son of Mary? That is a, a diss upon Jesus. But Jesus knew this, and he was showing his disciples the importance of dealing with rejection, dealing with, dealing with people that won't accept the message. And so he displayed that for them really, where, really well here. Now secondly, to be an effective witness or to be a, an effective follower of Christ, this is a huge one. Expect great things. Expect great things. Look at verses 4 through 6. <coughs> Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was, key here, he was amazed at their lack of faith. And then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. To be an effective witness for, for Jesus, uh, we must have great faith. We must expect great things. And why is that? It is because he's, he's done that in us. He's done that in our lives. He's done something great. Whether you have a, a background where you are totally hooked on drugs and alcohol and he saved you and rescued you from that, or whether you are like me, you grew up in a, in a Christian home and through the nurturing and the care of, of a loving parental family, you recognize your need for a Savior and you confess your sins before the Lord. Whatever the case might be, he came in, he changed our lives. And so he's done it in us. He is, he's done it in us, so we should expect that he would do that in other people as well. What, are we more special than the people around us? No. God can change other people, and we should expect great things. Now, there's only two times in the Bible that we see anywhere that it says that Jesus was amazed. Only twice. Um, the first, well, one of those times is right here in our passage. Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. The other instance where Jesus is amazed is the opposite. He is amazed at the faith of the centurion, which is a Roman soldier. Not even a Jewish soldier, but a, a non-Jew Roman official. I'm sorry, centurion was like a, a, a lieutenant or a colonel within a, within a Roman army. And he had great faith wanting to have one of his servants healed. So he told Jesus, Jesus was going to go to see this servant and heal the servant. And the centurion said, Jesus... I know what it's like to be a man of power, and I have faith that you have more power than that. If you just say the word, I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus is like, I've never seen such great faith than I am right now. And this servant is healed. So as, as, as we look at this, um, whether we're going to be going to Chicago, 
or going to Jamaica or going to the rendezvous parade or going to the 4th of July fireworks, whatever the case might be, what we need to do is expect that as we go out, especially as we go out scattering seed, loving people, that God would do great things. That God will do great things through us. Expect that, know that, because one, he's done it. He's done it in us. He's done it in you. Maybe it's been a long time, and maybe like King David, you need to have the, the, the joy of your salvation renewed in your own heart. I know I need to do that on a regular basis, to, to be reminded of what he's done for me, how he's rescued me from, from myself. I still do trip over myself often enough. My family will tell you that, but, but still, I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I'm a new man, um, and so we need to expect that he's going to do great things through us. So more practical application as we go as a church and we enter into this building process lord willing we're gonna we're gonna break ground or we're gonna build a building in our on our church property if that is god's will then we need to expect that he is going to do great things there Uh, and if he doesn't we still need to expect that he's got a different plan for us and that regardless because we're taking the the message of jesus out to the world around us god is going to do great things not because we're great you guys are great But still, it's not because of our greatness, it's because of his greatness working through us, working through our weaknesses as we kick off VBS coming up. It's just a few weeks out. As we kick off VBS, boy, we need to expect in VBS that God is going to do a work through through our workers, through the, the kids that come to our town. As as we go off, like I said, to mission trips, we need to expect these things, uh, that he will do great things. And and I love how Paul closes out his prayer for the Ephesians because he, he ties up exactly what we're talking about here when he says in Ephesians chapter 3. He, <laughs> he's just prayed for them and he said, Now to you who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you be the glory and the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and forever and forever Amen. To, to you who's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. I know that for myself, I want to be one that expects great things from God. I want God to be amazed at my faith, not my lack of faith or my unbelief. One of the commentators said, um, as powerful as great faith is unbelief. Those two things are every bit as powerful as one another. So we have to have great faith and expect great things. Thirdly, thirdly, to be an effective witness, to be an effective witness, rely upon each other, rely upon each other. Calling the 12, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Now this is very significant point, the turning point in in the, the life of Jesus this is a significant point in your in your Bibles um, because at this point is where Jesus is virtually beginning to transition. He's beginning to hand off responsibility. Um, he's not going to be the one doing all the preaching, all of the healing, all of the casting out of evil spirits. He's he's turning over some of that authority to his disciples, and he does this by sending them out two by two. And he does this for obvious reasons. I mean, it it provides mutual support. It provides protection. It provides strength. um, It helps impact um, 
bring impact to their individual abilities. I actually was talking to Mike Shabel right before the service, and he was he was just saying he was pushing he was pushing a wheelbarrow, and it was really heavy. And one of his friends, Tom Wilson, said, "Have you ever tried? You know." seen like I've seen other people do, tie a rope to the front of that, and one guy pulls a rope and one guy pushes, and then all of a sudden they tried it, and it was like what was ridiculously heavy became, I mean, for both of them, on the, whether you're pulling or pushing, it was, it was really easy. Uh, it's just a great, great practical principle here that Jesus sends them out two by two, and I don't know if you know this, but I feel this way too, you know, what if I get a dud? What if I get partnered up you know, in life or faith with someone, if you ever had a school project where you don't want to get part of someone else's study team because you're thinking, oh man, that guy never studies, da 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 da, or maybe people were thinking that of me, could have been a very, very real possibility, um, but what's interesting about this is that Jesus takes these 12 guys and he pairs them up, now there's 12 guys, one of those 12 is a guy named Judas, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Christ, guess who he was partnered up with, any ideas? Peter. He was partnered up with, with Peter, and uh, we don't have a whole lot of information on whether or not they were a dynamic duo, but, but God still works. God still works despite those people who we were partnered. One became the rock of a church. One became uh, the one who sold out our Savior. Um, so there's lots of different ways that we, that we can lean on one another, but the most important thing is that, that we don't go it alone. One of the things I appreciate that Carrie, if you don't know Carrie, Carrie's our secretary, our office administrator. Um, she, she does so much. She coordinates all of our worship. She's up here on the keyboards. But as she's doing this and preparing our worship teams, she has given all of us who are on a worship team prayer partners, two prayer partners. So that way when we're up here playing or singing, we're supposed to call each week when we're up here our prayer partners or text them or email them and say, hey, would you pray for me this week that I could, I could lead with a humble heart? I would play well and... And, and lead well in all of those things. So really appreciate that very much. Fourthly, fourthly, we need, um, if we want to be effective witnesses, we need to, number four, pack lightly. Pack lightly. These were instructions. These were his instructions. It says, take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Uh, so the orders here that Jesus issues are to teach the apostles absolute dependence upon their Lord, which is him. Uh, they're told to take nothing along for the journey, nothing for the road. Jesus was going to provide that for them. And, and once this lesson had been thoroughly learned in them, they would be ready for their worldwide mission to go out and take the message of the gospel to all the ends of the earth. Um, and whether they had all the resources or whether they had none, it didn't matter because they, they had their complete dependence upon the Lord and he wanted them to learn that. And this is especially true today. Um, again, this applies to all of us, whether we're going on a short-term mission or whether we're going on a long-term mission or whether we're going out to work in the morning. We're going out to mow our lawn and we're going to interact with our neighborhood. Regardless, all of these things apply. And this is especially true for us um, because in our world today, our identity is so packed up, and we, it's so hard to not slip into this trap because we live in such a commercial world. We see commercialization everywhere, but it's hard not to tie our identity up to our looks and to physical appearances. And we can spend so much time investing in ourselves or investing in our kids or investing in the busyness of our life 
that we don't invest in preparing our hearts for the interactions that we have for that moment, for that day. And I just want to encourage you, if you don't have this, it's a regular part of your daily rhythm where you get up and we spend time prepping ourselves, making ourselves pretty for the day, but we prep our hearts for the interaction that God's going to bring our way, the people that, that he's going to bring in, whether, whether we're out officially spreading the gospel or whether we're out officially shining the light of the gospel by scattering seeds in our workplace. So important that we, we, we uh, pack lightly, that we don't put so much importance on the things that are just going to burn, the things that don't matter at all, but we put them where they really do matter, which is, which is people. Fifthly, to be an effective witness. Oops. To be an effective witness. Fifthly, demonstrate contentment. Demonstrate contentment. It says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. Now, in Bible times, it was common for travelers to stay in people's homes because the inns were either too expensive or they were too inexpensive and full of criminals and thievery and those kinds of things. And so if a person was, especially a person like these guys, if they were traveling and they were doing something like they were doing, which was bringing a message of hope, which was healing sick people, which was casting out demons, uh, which was bringing uh, humanitarian aid. If, if they're doing, people, they're going to become rock stars pretty quickly, especially if they get associated with Jesus. Because at this point in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus was known throughout all of the land. And if these are his boys and people see that, what would normally happen is you would go into a home, someone would invite you in and they would say, it's yours, have your home. But then someone else would come along with a bigger and better house or a bigger and better place to stay and they're like come stay with me I've got you know a better space basically what he's saying here is don't upgrade to first class don't don't look for the the better seat just be faithful when you go into a place keep your focus on what you're doing be thankful for what you've got rather than always trying to upgrade to what's bigger and better getting stuck in that and that whole trap And, and so he says demonstrate contentment and contentment in where you're staying. And then sixthly, and, and, and finally here, to, to be an effective witness is to be bold and obedient. To be bold and obedient. It says here, they went out, they preached, that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and, he, and healed them. Our effectiveness as a witness for Christ is not based upon our own efforts. It's not based upon our gifts. It's not based upon our strengths or our willpower. Uh, It's based upon us being willing to be bold and obedient. Us being willing to let God use us, work through us. And that means we need to be ready to go whenever he says go, ready to do whenever he says do. And that, that is... That is a whole other sermon of what that looks like. But obedience is such a huge aspect to the Christian life. And Christ shines through us. He shines through our words and our actions when we're willing to, to open our mouth, to scatter seed, to love people. When we're willing to let our actions um, be, be of sprinkling love and the good message of the gospel. These guys, they went, they called people to repent just like that 1 Corinthians 1 passage talked about, they spoke a simple message of repentance that people need to give their life and turn their life over to the Lord and let his blood cleanse them of their sins rather than their religious activity, rather than their, their um, 
their family history or their family lineage. It's the blood of Jesus in which cleanses people from sin. And that's it. That is the way to, to the kingdom of God, accepting the sacrifice of Jesus and repenting, turning from their sin, seeing their sin as ugly and not living out that way. 